Well, um, two weeks ago, as we first jumped into this online thing, um, we really, that, that sermon was really our, our initial response uh, to this whole situation, um, the social distancing, staying indoors. Uh, so that was just really a response sermon. Last week was a sermon that was really kind of defensive, uh, how to prepare, how to plan, uh, how to guard our hearts, how to have a, a right biblical perspective, um, how to prepare even our, our hearts, our minds, everything for this, not just physical preparation, with food and supplies, but really spiritual, emotional, mental preparation, so really defensive. And this week, we're gonna be shifting gears rather quickly because we're moving rapidly from a defensive sermon of preparation to an offensive sermon of action. It might feel quite abrupt, but you know, I could really, I could spend more weeks on how to prepare us personally as a church, as families, as parents, as uh, newly minted stay at home or stay at, uh, or work from home moms and dads. Uh, I could spend time talking about schedules and devotionals and all these things, all this important stuff on how to make the most of this for us personally. But church, honestly, we don't have the luxury of time on our side. And we're going to keep those things going through group chats and our Zoom uh, meetings and our, our line app. But corporately, as a people, we also we have to shift gears and we have to do it quickly. Um, it seems to me that in the past couple weeks, there's been a lot of sadness over canceled plans and trips and weddings and potentially graduations, kids' sports, professional sports. There's also um, kind of a newness for some, uh, where there's this, this kind of, it's like a little uh, novel this time, almost like, wow, this is, this is crazy, right? It's kind of a honeymoon kind of a feeling. We're kind of doing something different, not for everyone, but for many, there's kind of like this newness and um, it's kind of a sentimentality of staying home and having dinner together and all that stuff that we didn't get to do when our lives were so busy. But the reality is, is though we might be focusing a bit on defensive in ourselves and kind of the things that we're sad to lose, vacations and sports, and also the things we're happy to gain maybe with some of this extra time with family, but the reality is as things, things are gonna escalate. Hopefully not to the degree that some predictions would say, but they are gonna escalate. And as they escalate, fear is also gonna rise, anxiety over jobs and health, the economy, those things are gonna grow, sickness is gonna increase, isolation is gonna separate us even further. Some of the stuff that maybe is a little bit, um, you know, uh, the novelty of it is going to wear off very quickly if it hasn't already. Sooner or later, you're going to know someone who has COVID-19 if you don't already. And you may even know someone who comes very close to death or maybe even does pass away. Uh, there's plenty of stats out there, so I'm not going to bring them up here. Um, but we have to, as a church, we have to be prepared. And I don't mean, again, supplies and all those kinds of things. I mean spiritually, emotionally, not just for the sake of us, but really for the sake of others that are in our lives. We have to be ready as people. We can't stop building, you know, what we've been calling our daily liturgies, the things that are gonna help us to uh, get through this personally. We're not gonna stop doing those things and putting time and effort into the things that help us personally the things that fortify our hearts and the hearts of our kids. We're not gonna stop finding ways to stay connected to one another as a church family, but we also can't simply and only be on the defensive. We can't only just be thinking, how are we, how is my family, how am I gonna get through this? 
Because church, that is not why you were put on this earth. You weren't put on this earth to think about how you're going to get through this life. You were put on this earth for a much greater purpose. That's not the reason why you are put in the United States in 2020, in California, in your business, in your school, in your neighborhood. It wasn't just to figure out how you can survive this whole thing. No, you are to serve a far greater purpose than just the building up and defense of your own family, your own interests, your own bank account, or even your own church. So I want to pray now, and I want to jump into God's Word. I want to pray that the Lord would help us to pivot very quickly to go from a place of defensive actions and go towards a more offensive approach as we go into the coming weeks and months. Father in heaven, we thank you that you, as we sang earlier, you go before us, you're our strength, you're our everything. You're the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven and earth, and you're with us through the fire, through the trials, through the difficulties, the challenges. We have nothing to fear because you're our God. Because your promises that are in your word are secure. They're perfect. They're fixed in heavens, as your word says. They're not going to change. Your word says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's been faithful up until this point. We know he's going to keep being faithful. So give us hope through your word and through these promises. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before I jump into this text, and the text, if you have a Bible, you can turn there now. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up on the screen for you, but it's uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, verses 15 through 20. But before I jump into it, a little background on why this particular verse came to mind this week. Uh, I'd been struggling personally with how to prepare our own hearts while also helping us quickly turning our attention outwards. So how, how do I as a pastor, how do I as a, as a father, as a husband, prepare my own heart and the hearts of our church, but also look outwardly at the same time? I've been struggling on, on how to do that. I spent the first 10 days of this shutdown trying to figure out how to run a church in a new way, rebuilding, so to speak, how we connect and grow and be discipled. To be honest, I feel like I've never pastored a church before uh, because it's just so new. Uh, nothing is the same to me. Uh, so much of my, my, my work and my, uh, my ministry is face-to-face, being with people. Uh, and so to do this is just so different. I feel like I've never done this before. I've never been a pastor before. That's how I feel almost. And it's driving me crazy the first 10 days because from the decision of going online, which was Saturday the 14th, about three weeks ago, up until just this last Tuesday, the biggest bulk of my time was given to uh, Brian and me figuring out how to turn the ship of our church. And I felt like every day that passed by, I was just losing precious time uh, working on the church rather than within the church, if that makes sense. I wanted to be engaged in the actual equipping, the shepherding, the leading of us through uh, this whole time and leading our church family rather than just preparing things like infrastructures and communication systems and those types of things. But I knew that I had to do that work first if I wanted to do the next work efficiently. And even though now we've gotten through the biggest technological challenges, getting us online, all those kinds of things, uh, it is not time for us as a church to go on cruise control. Just to say, okay, now that we're online, now we're going to do the old way of church, but just in a new way. No, we have to do more. It is time for us to get to work. 
So I'm going to read through this text that came to mind this week as I was sifting through my own thoughts. And this isn't going to be maybe a usual sermon is how I most often go through a text sort of more verse by verse. Uh, But as I tried to figure out how to keep building uh, while also turning our attention outwards, this is the one that came to mind not just for this time, but also this one has come to mind a lot over the years when I've faced other critical points in my life. So, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 15 through 20. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. This is Nehemiah the prophet speaking. And I'll give you some context after we get through this. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We're separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Now a little background on this. Jerusalem had been destroyed and ransacked. And the Persians were the big rulers now in this region. Now, around 539 B.C., a man named Cyrus the Great, who was the king over Persia, allowed the Jews to rebuild their temple. Jerusalem had been leveled, and he gave them permission. Some of these Jews had moved back into the area, and he gave them permission to rebuild their temple. But the whole rest of the city, all the walls were all down. There was nothing. So a few years later, Nehemiah, a Jewish scribe, a Jewish leader, uh, he came to Jerusalem to inspect the state of Jerusalem. And he saw that the walls were just down into rubble. And he wanted to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that there wouldn't be a future destruction again. He wanted to protect from the enemies. So the Jews were once again able to rebuild and have protection from an enemy invasion. But many of the non-Jewish residents and leaders that were there, they were against it. That's why in that first verse in 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us, that God had frustrated their plan, we returned to the wall. So some of these guys that were living there, they didn't like the idea that the Jews were able to start rebuilding their wall. They didn't want them to have this kind of protection. And so some hostilities arose. Now the Jewish workers wanted to just focus on their work. They just wanted to build the wall. They just wanted to build a place where they can be safe and secure. Many of us today, in this time, We find our life really kind of in shambles. A lot of chaos. We're a bit stressed, maybe anxious, thinking about a lot of things. Homeschooling kids, working from home, or maybe not working at all, or or, uh, lessened hours at work. Certain rhythms are out of whack, all kinds of things. As I mentioned for the last week, I was focused very internally on communication, uh, learning the curve of technology. But we all have to be reminded, as I said last week, that the mission is not on pause. We don't pause because of all the stuff that's going on. There's a very real battle that God has called us into as the church. And we have to learn how to multitask, so to speak, 
Because we can't put this mission on hold and just focus on how do we survive through this thing as a family, as a, 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 a nuclear family as well as a church family. We have to learn how to do both, how to protect ourselves and get through this, but also how to look outwardly. And so though we want to and we need to rebuild the wall, so to speak, of our daily routine, our workflow, our goals, all those things, we also can't disengage. We can't be so focused internally that we forget about the battle that is going on out there. This is why those 10 days of building the wall, so to speak, was driving me crazy. Church, we've got to be ready. And again, I hope it's not gonna be as bad as many of the projections out there, but I also don't want us as a church and as people and as families to be unprepared. So we have to make adjustments and we have to make them quickly. We need to keep working on the wall, but we also have to pick up the sword and be ready to do the battle that God has called us to. Uh, you guys know uh, the Queen Mary, the ship. Uh, I don't know if uh, some of you guys know this, some of you kids might not know this that are watching with us, but uh, the Queen Mary uh, is a ship that's now docked in Long Beach, but the Queen Mary, when it was built, it, it was larger than the Titanic. It was built after the Titanic, but it was a ship that was built larger than the Titanic. I have a picture to show you, uh, and in this picture you see uh, the Queen Mary in, in her glory when she was uh, kind of around when she was first built. Now in 1936, during World War II, Queen Mary was actually converted from a luxury liner because this was, it was like the Titanic. It was a luxury liner with all kinds of great appointments, uh, really luxurious uh, uh, staterooms to, to stay in as you went from America to Europe. But it was converted from a luxury liner and it became a troop ship. It was enlisted into the war. This was a ship now used instead of carrying uh, maybe uh, the rich or people going on vacations. Now it was a ship being used to carry troops from the United States to Europe to fight Nazi Germany in World War II. And the ship was even painted navy gray. I've got a picture of that as well for you to see. You see the difference. That the Queen Mary originally black, red, white, beautiful. But then later it was enlisted into war and painted navy gray. Now, not only was the Queen Mary massive and able to carry more troops and cargo and equipment, but it was also very fast. It was faster than any other naval boat. It could even outrun the Nazi U-boats. It was so fast that it often traveled from the U.S. to Europe without any kind of escort from other battleships to give it safe passage. It didn't need anyone to help. She would just get there. She'd leave all the other battleships behind her. That's how fast she was. She was nicknamed the Grey Ghost. Even at one point, it carried uh, Winston Churchill from the UK to New York City in order to talk about the war and meet. But here's the deal. The furniture, the decorations, all of it was removed and it was replaced with triple-tiered wooden bunks for the troops. Six miles of carpet was taken out 220 cases of china, crystal, and silver service items, tapestries, paintings. They're all removed and stored in warehouses during the duration of the war. Was this expensive to do this? It absolutely was expensive. Was it inconvenient? It was absolutely inconvenient. But as a luxury ship, as a luxury ship, she carried 2,000 passengers. 2,000 passengers. But once converted, she carried 16,600 troops, 
which still to this day is a record for the most people ever on one ship. Still standing today, that record. Church, we have got to do some renovations. We have to do some refitting and conversions in our own lives. Now, I hope that your life has already been under this kind of construction. And for those of you who go to Life Mission Church, I know that most of us have already been in that state of change. If you've been coming here for a year, two years, or seven years, things have changed in your life. You've changed certain aspects about your daily and weekly rhythms and how you spend your money and your time and what you fill your calendar with. So I know already that you were once a Queen Mary and now you're starting to be converted into the gray ghost. So I know that for many of us that's the case. But here's the deal is that this, this job, this work is never done. This reconstruction, this retrofitting is never done. I'm still being converted into that kind of a person who has that mentality of being more of a gray ghost. So here's the thing as we think through what's going on in our nation, in this world. The last major global devastation and life uh, interruption that we had uh, was 9-11. But let's think about this. Were the churches after 9-11 overflowing with people after that? Maybe for a few weeks, maybe at best for a couple months. But soon enough, for the most part, sadly, we went back to business as usual. We say never forget, but we actually have very short memories, and it's very unfortunate for us. But as soon as we have our idols back, as soon as we have the treasures of life back that we miss so much, as soon as we can get back into normal things, if our hearts were unconverted in that time, our lives won't really actually change. If there's anything that 9-11 taught us as a church about this world and about America is that events, even major catastrophes, don't actually save people. The gospel does. The good news of Jesus Christ is the only thing that saves people. It might shift our perspective a little bit. It might change a, a daily rhythm here or there. But ultimately, the only thing that eternally changes us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's word tells us that the good news of what Christ has done for us is the power of salvation. It's the power of God. None of these other things, as powerful as they are, compared to the power of the work of God. We saw plenty of folks back right after 9-11 that were like the parable of the seed, seed that fell on rocky soil, it sprang up, had some life, we made some life changes, but eventually it withered away because it never actually took root into the ground. Now there were many people after 9-11 that were like seed that fell on good soil, as Jesus taught. They fell on good soil that that good soil, the, the seed went deep into the soil with its roots and eventually grew into a tree. Many people, after 9-11, that was the case for them because they were converted in their hearts. And today they're still following Jesus. But let me paint this picture a little more full for us. When I think about a, a time in the, in the Bible where God brought disaster upon a people. If you remember the story of Egypt and the plagues. Now those, those plagues were intended to bring the fear of God upon people to show his power, his, his might, to show them that they should repent from their sin and see the mercy and grace of God, that he was giving them an opportunity to have all that, uh, that anger and wrath pass over them and trust in the Lord, the God of all creation. 
But when this came upon the earth, did the Egyptians now flock to Yahweh, flock to God after that and repent of all their sin? No, they didn't. Those things came upon the earth and it didn't cause them to look inwardly and think about their sin and the, and the trajectory of their life and who God is. Even Pharaoh himself hardened his heart rather than tremble in the presence of God. Now church, apart from receiving the gift of God's grace, receiving the gift of salvation, being born again by our Father above, born again by the Spirit of God, apart from that, only when we hear and believe the good news of the love and forgiveness of Jesus, and apart from that, we're not going to change. We're going to go back to life as usual. So what's our hope? Well, if you remember, last week I said that my hope, my prayer, is that the churches will be more filled even more after this. But I gave a disclaimer, if you remember, that only if only if we, the church, you, who are watching at home, only if we are planted by the streams of water that we saw last week in Jeremiah 17. Now, now why do I say that if? See, because I just said that, you know, 9-11 taught us that the churches aren't going to be filled and then stay filled. But last week I said I'm hoping that, that they actually do get more filled and stay filled. But my disclaimer is that that will happen, that can happen, only if we are planting ourselves in this time by the streams of water. Because the, the Lord showed us in Jeremiah last week that he uses you and your family when you plant yourself by the water, your roots go into that good news, that power that changes you, if you're indeed building the wall as your defense for yourself and your family, building your life liturgy, when your roots go deep into the water, your leaves, Jeremiah says, remain green and you bear fruits, even though there is a drought going on. Right now we've got this weird drought going on in our worlds. And there's people who are looking for shade, looking for nourishment. And now if we, church, if you and your family, you're planting yourselves by the water, you will provide that shade. Your leaves will remain green. I'm talking spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And you're gonna bear fruit. You're gonna be uh, having joy and peace that you're gonna be able to give to other people. Now, if we're not planted by the water, the world around us has no shade and has no fruit to eat. So if we do this, and if we are reaching out to the people that God has put into our lives, caring for them, loving them, reaching out to them, checking in with them, sharing the good news with them, then yes, when we are done with this, we will see churches be more filled, people loving Jesus for the first time, people seeing their lives change and be converted, seeing people run from the sin that was entangling them and imprisoning them, being set free from the guilt and the shame, the condemnation, that they felt for all the sin that they've done in their lives, all the, the things that they've had happen to them can be washed by Christ. And look how Paul says it in Romans 10. It says in Romans 10, chapter, or chapter 10, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then, how will they call on him if they don't believe in him? And how are they going to believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how are they going to hear about him unless someone's actually preaching to them? 
And how are people going to preach to them unless those people are sent from somewhere? Well, as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? The faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. Now, I want you to be clear on something here, too, is that when we're talking about preaching, I'm not, we're not talking about necessarily what I'm doing right now. I know that not everyone has this ability to, to, to preach in a way that someone else would do in a public speaking kind of a format, but what we're talking about here is sharing the good news, talking about the good news with people. So it's saying here, how, how will people be changed? How will people's lives change? How can people be saved? Saved from their own sin unless someone actually goes and tells them about the goodness of God, the forgiveness of God. How can that happen? Well, it can happen unless someone actually is preaching, but no one can actually go unless someone is equipping them and sending them. That's why I said at the beginning of this service, our, our church doesn't revolve around buildings and programs and all these things. Our, our church revolves around equipping people to go into their worlds, into their schools, into their workplaces, all these different places. They're the ones to go. You guys are the ones to go and share that good news, share what God has done for you in your life and share that with the people that you love. Because if someone doesn't share with them, they're not gonna know the freedom that Christ offers. They're not gonna have the salvation from sin and death that Christ has done for us. So we can't just sit back and say, wow, this whole coronavirus thing, it's, it's crazy. God's gonna be so glorified in this and just sit back. Just think, oh, God's doing something. We can't just sit back and think that. Now, yes, he is. He is gonna be glorified. But it's not on us to just sit back and just watch it happen. Because God purposefully and profoundly chooses to be glorified by using you and me through things like this. That's how he gets glory. It's not just he just sits back and just gets glory. He could if he did wanted to do it that way, but he chooses specifically to use you and me to receive that glory for himself. To do this great work of seeing sinful enemies become adopted sons and daughters of God Almighty, he uses you and your family and me and my family to do this. So God doesn't just simply say to us, Hey, you want to see something awesome? Come watch me. That's not what he does. You know what he says? He says, hey, do you want to see something awesome? Come follow me. He doesn't have us just watch him do all this stuff. No, he invites you and me to follow him and partake in it with him. It's like, you know, uh, like take your kid to work day kind of a thing. We get to partake in this mission. God God wants to use us, you and me, your family. He wants to use all of us to do the mission that he has called the church to do, to, to see his glory be made known among the nations so that people turn from sin and are saved from death, saved from eternal damnation, saved from the emptiness that, that, all, that sin brings. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. And so he says, you want to see something awesome? Come follow me. Let's do this together. Church, you've been saved to be sent. 
That is why you're on this earth. It's not so you can just get through this life and get through this coronavirus thing and just huddle together. Yeah, we're huddling together physically, but you've been saved to be sent into this world, each of us, each of you, each of your family members. The purpose of saving you was to send you. So yes, we've, we've got to build this defensive wall for us, for our family, but the mission is not on pause. Pastor and missionary named Michael O. Oh, I was a Japanese missionary. He says, missions is not something God invites us into. You're like, ah, you can join me if you want. No, rather, it's what he saves us into. You've been saved to be sent. It's not this optional thing like, hey, if you want to come work with me, that'd be great. No, he saved you specifically to send you. He saved you into mission. So it's not this thinking like, oh, I, I have to be on mission for the Lord. No, it's, it's I get to be on mission with the Lord. This is what you were saved for. This is what I was saved for. This is what I've been set apart for. It's what you've been set apart for. It's what you've been destined for. What you've been purposed for. In each our own ways, in our own world, we go out into our schools and communities and neighborhoods. God desires to convert you from a luxury liner whose sole purpose was to live a life of comfort. This ocean liner just cruising across the Atlantic focused on self-care, focused on our own well-being, our own future, our own happiness. And he wants to convert you into a battleship, a warship. Just like the Queen Mary, when it was fitted for luxury, held 2,000, but when converted, held 16,600. When you and I live for ourselves, we can do a lot. We can accomplish a lot. We can experience a lot in this life. But brothers and sisters, when God gets a hold of your calendar, your relationships, your motivations, your hobbies, your finances, your desires, friends, he makes you so much more able to reach so many more people and affect so many more lives on so many more levels he will, just as the Queen Mary, when it was converted, he will increase your capacity to serve others. And your effect upon them will not just last as long as your neighbors or as long as you work in the same department or while you're in school or as long as you're on the same sports team. No, no, see, our capacity just increased from 2,000 to 16,600. So now you're gonna affect people for eternity not just for these temporal moments in your life. When our lives are converted into, from these ocean liners, luxury ocean liners to these battleships, all of a sudden our capacity grows, our influence grows, and now we affect people for eternity. Not just for brief moments, weeks or months or years on this earth. The greenery of your leaves, so to speak, will bring much needed shade to so many people, friends and neighbors who are living under this sun that is scorching them. The fruit of your life will provide much needed nourishment to parched bodies. But the big question for us church is, will we go? Will we go, will we actually say yes? Are we ready? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm not ready for this. And maybe you're not, but listen, Neither was Peter when Jesus said to him, come follow me. When Jesus effectively said to Peter, you want to see something awesome? Come follow me. Peter wasn't ready. He was an uneducated fisherman. He was a nobody. 
He was nothing. He wasn't ready for what Christ was calling him to. He was not ready. You might feel like you're not ready. That's okay. I'm not ready for tomorrow. I'm not ready for next week. But what did Jesus follow up with after he said, come follow me? He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Look at that phrase again. What did Jesus say? He goes, I will make you. You don't make yourself. You don't build yourself up into some amazing, talented person. No, Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you. I will do it. I'm going to do the work in you. See, church, Jesus doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And if you've been called by Christ, if he has saved you, if he's opened your eyes at some point in your life, for me, it's almost 23 years ago, when he opened my eyes, he called me to be his son, to follow him. It was the first time ever. I, I grew up knowing about him. I knew his name. I knew a few Bible stories. But it wasn't until I was 18 when my eyes were truly actually open. My heart was made alive. And I saw Jesus really for the first time for who he is. Before that, it was just kind of religious activity. Some do's, some don'ts, some rules, some laws here and there trying to be a good person. I was trying to equip myself by becoming a better person. But it wasn't until that day, August 21st, 1997, that I saw for the first time the power of the gospel opened my eyes, made me alive. I saw Jesus really for the first time with clear eyes. I thought before that he was just kind of this figure in the sky, but now I saw him for who he really is, a loving God who did everything necessary for me to be saved. I was trying to save myself, trying to be good enough to make it to heaven, and I didn't realize that there was no way I was gonna be able to do that. But I saw that God sent his own son, Jesus, that he came here and he called me. He said, come follow me. Leave everything else behind, follow me. We're gonna see something awesome if you follow me. And through those last 23 years, church, he has been equipping me day in and day out. Sometimes I take 10 steps forward and two steps back. But then I take another seven steps forward. He equips the called. He says in John chapter 20, verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so also I'm sending you. So church, are we gonna go? He said in Matthew chapter nine, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Church, the harvest is plentiful, and in the coming weeks and months, it's gonna become even more plentiful. But will we take up our cross? Will you take up your cross? Will you pick up the sword and ready yourself for battle while still, yes, definitely, building the wall? Keep building that wall, but pick up the sword. Go out into the mission that God has called you to because the harvest is indeed plentiful and the workers are few. Notice it doesn't say the harvest is plentiful but the professional preachers are few or the harvest is plentiful and the, the gifted are few or the big churches are few, the great programs are few, the money is few, the scholars are few, the people with really crazy, amazing testimonies are few. No, no, Paul doesn't say, and there's many that hear the gospel he doesn't say there's many that, that are gonna hear the gospel, but how can they hear the gospel if there aren't good programs or professional preachers? That's not what Paul says in Romans. Jesus doesn't say it about the workers. Paul doesn't say it about the preachers going out to reach people. He doesn't say, how can people hear the gospel if we don't have great church programs? 
No, he says, how can they hear the gospel if there's no one out to, to go to them and share the good news? No, the harvest is plentiful. The workers, the workers are few. The people willing to share the gospel are few. Are you, you and your family, willing to just simply be a day laborer for Christ, willing to work? Now, we as a church have been saying since day one that the glory of God, seeing God be glorified among the nations so that people could be saved and rescued from sin and darkness, God's glory is our goal. We want to see his glory among the nations. But the glory of God, we've been saying from day one, is also, it also has to be our fuel. So we do have to keep building our wall, so to speak, building our liturgy, driving our roots into the ground because we want God's glory to be the thing that fuels us. That is the source of our strength and it's the source of our own defense. So we have to continue to do that. But if you don't believe in the great reward of Christ, then you won't live out the great commission for Christ. We have to be rooted in the gospel, believing what he says to us, the promises he's made to us. We have to be rooted in that if we're going to go, if we're going to actually say, yes, we'll go. We're only going to go if we're amazed with what Christ has done for us. So we have to continue to, to gospel each other, learn how to gospel our kids, but we also have to be on the offense and pick up our swords. If we want to see God's glory among the nations, we also have to be having our hearts rooted in the gospel. There was a time, church, when you simply and only pursued your comforts, but let that time be no more. I have a list of practicals. You can look in your notes with me. Just a, a few practicals. There's a lot more than this. This isn't the best list ever made in the last uh, two weeks, uh, but this is just a few things that I would love for you guys to do. I, I hope that your family uh, I want to encourage your families to adopt something, one or two of these things, or something that you come up with here on your own. But I, wanna, I want you guys to sit down as families, maybe tonight at dinner or maybe right after the service, but I want you to sit down and say, what are we going to do to be on the offensive during this time? And I want you to pick a few things. I want you to commit to them. And I hope that, especially for the you that are part of Life Mission Church, that uh, this week when you're in your community groups over the, the Zoom teleconferencing app, uh, I'm hoping that you guys are going to be talking about sharing. Here's what we're doing. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to rally together and say, this is what we're doing. This is who I'm praying for. This is how we're reaching out. So here's a few things. You don't have to do all these things, but I hope that you adopt at least a couple things here that you make the, the, your sword, so to speak, going into the next couple, few weeks and months. First is a prayer list. Write down so that your whole family can see. Put it on the fridge put it on the island, whatever it is, but write down a prayer list of people that you are praying for. Keep in mind the people who are less connected. Maybe technology is not their forte. Maybe it's people that are, um, that are isolated more than others. It's your neighbors, the people that are closest to you. Make a prayer list, make it visible for your entire family. Now have also a contact list. This could probably be the same thing as your prayer list, but a contact list. People you're gonna be texting, people you're gonna be uh, doing, uh, you're Zooming with, like a new word that we use now, Zooming with each other. Uh, people you'll be calling, Skyping with, whatever. Make a contact list. Again, something that is visible. You can maybe take notes of the last time you talked to them, but be very specific with it. Again, people who live alone, the elderly, neighbors, people who are uh, searching for answers, non-believers, ask them about health, ask them about loneliness, about job security, fears, 
Ask them if they've been getting visitors at all or even uh, virtual, uh, digital visitors. Practical needs they might have. Have also maybe a, a list of scriptures. Scriptures that you can have on hand that you can be sending to those people. Maybe you have, you know, six or seven, eight, ten different scriptures. Maybe there are scriptures that you're going to be memorizing, but also ones that you can be sending out to people. You can actually go down that list of contacts and say, uh, what's one scripture I would like to send to these different people? Also, we have um, outreach cards. We, ha we have these available online. Uh, if you want to go to the same page where you got the sermon notes, uh, lifemissionchurch.com slash events, uh, we have a couple things on there that are available for you to download to print out. So uh, there's a sample that uh, Brian will put up on the screen there. Uh, the sample, uh, I made it very simple. Uh, I didn't want to fill it too much. Uh, we kept it black and white just to, so you can, you know, for those of you who don't have uh, color printers, don't want to use color. Um, we wanted just to put our information at the bottom for the live stream, but I'd like for you to fill out that box with whatever it is that you would want to put in there. Uh, and you don't have to use this. You can make your own. Uh, but this is just an example, just something to put in your hands. Uh, the one that's online is four to a page that you can print out. But write out something like, you know, hey, we're a young family. Here's our address. We live down the street from you. Uh, we're healthy. We'd like to help you out. Maybe um, you know, it's doing grocery shopping. Uh, you know, let them know that you'll be helping them from a distance and being safe, all that good stuff. Maybe it's groceries. Maybe it's yard work. Uh, maybe it's setting up a, a Zoom conversation. Or maybe it's helping them set up technology uh, they, they might not know how to do. Uh, might be helping out with some, some homeschool stuff, people that are learning that new adjustment. Uh, whatever it is that you as a family can say, hey, here's some things we can do. Uh, we know that they have little kids, so maybe our kids can, can Zoom with them, or you know, we can uh, play a game over Zoom. Whatever it is, get creative as a family uh, and print these out. Maybe just go around to your neighbors, put them on the doorsteps, whatever it might be. Uh, you can also, um, you can just uh, text people, let them know the things that you're able to do for them. But get creative in how you're going to be reaching out to people. Uh, you can also uh, download the Nextdoor app and see uh, who's in your neighborhood and offer some of those needs as well there. Uh, our neighbors up the street, they've been making uh, masks for uh, the hospitals and some of the medical workers, but they ran out of uh, the quarter-inch, the nice thick quarter-inch rubber bands. Uh, if you have access to some of those rubber bands... Um, you know, I, I would love to take them, give them to our neighbors, or if you want to start helping out with something like that, uh, making uh, the, uh, the protective gowns, the masks, those types of things, I want to see us getting creative as families and how to reach out to those around us. Some of you who have reduced hours or maybe you're out of work completely, figure out something to do, a way to serve people, to serve others, don't waste this time just building your own wall. Don't just spend this time on yourself. Be looking for opportunities to pick up your sword and help others. I'd also encourage you guys, especially those of you um, in, in Life Mission Church, to share your ideas on our Line app. Uh, go online and, uh, and share with us the, the different things that you guys are doing there. Uh, also at lifemissionchurch.com slash events, uh, the Burts, they have a, a list of different ideas uh, that they've been doing, uh, not just for this, but actually before that even. They've uh, modified it a bit for this, so that's also online as well. You can go and see some, a lot more ideas than even what I shared. So I want to close with this. Um, it's kind of funny, uh, going back into the, the, the text here, verse 19. 
It's kind of funny that this is in here. I didn't remember this part of the story, uh, but there's a great truth to be had here as we jump back into the story of Nehemiah. If you see in verse 19, it says that Nehemiah said, um, I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we're separated on the wall far from one another. So the Jews here in this story were separated from one another. They were practicing some element of social distancing here, working far apart. But he says in verse 20, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. So we're all spread out, he says. And that's a problem because we need to encourage each other and come up with a game plan from time to time. So as you spread out and do the work, when you hear the trumpet, go to the trumpet. Go there. We'll come together. Our God will fight for us. They had a plan in place to rally each other and unify each other. What they did to keep unified and stay together, in actuality, what they did is they used some technology to rally themselves together. In their case, their technology was a trumpet. They would hear that trumpet from a distance and they'd gather themselves together. Now, we can't come together physically like they did, like the Jews rebuilding their wall, but our trumpet, so to speak, I don't know about you, but the last 10 days, last two weeks, my phone, my computer has been going off 10 times crazier than ever before with all the different notifications since almost every, well, everything now is through that form of communication. So the, the vibration, the notifications, they're like lots of little trumpets for me. Uh, I, I hear people uh, in different groups that are through our line app or on Facebook, whatever it is, um, people that are uh, trying to encourage one another. Uh, and so that little trumpet goes off and, I, and I'm, I rally together to that app or that social media platform or a text message or whatever it is, or Zoom, something like that, I rally to that place to see what's going on in our church family. Uh, that, for now, is our rallying trumpet. It's the, the way that we can gather together to find encouragement for each other. And though we aren't meeting on a wall like the Jews were, we are meeting online how we can in order to rally and unify each other. But not just to encourage each other, but also to come up with a battle plan. So I want us to be rallying together, staying connected to each other, and not just for the sake of encouragement, yes, definitely that, building our wall, helping each other build our, each other's walls, but also rallying together so we can come together and say, how are you picking up your sword? What have you guys been doing? What are some ideas you have? Here's what we're doing. What are you guys doing? How are we preparing ourselves for the coming weeks and months when fear and anxiety is gonna increase in our neighborhoods and among our friends? So we have to rally together. We have to rally together to remind ourselves of gospel truth, remind ourselves that Jesus had love for us so much that he suffered for us so that we now would be willing to suffer for him. If we remember and we bring to mind how much Christ suffered for us, we would be so willing to not just work on our wall but pick up our sword and even suffer for him to go out and affect people in our lives. We can pick up our cross and we can follow him and see amazing things happen. We can pick up both our hammer to build our wall but also our sword. So let's pray and thank the Lord for his goodness, for his grace. I wanna pray that he would help lead us and guide us as his people to not just be building our wall but to be readying ourselves for battle so that we can go on the offensive and fight for people 
fight for people, knowing that God, as it says in that final verse, our God will fight for us. He is our defense. He is our fortress. He's our almighty God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, for your power and your strength, that there is no one like you, Lord, that you have saved us for a specific purpose, and it's not just for us to sit, not just for us to be focused on ourselves and our own well-being, but it's to send us. But we first must be saved. And I pray, God, that even uh, for those of us who um, have been going through this life maybe more like a, an ocean liner, maybe today we realize for the first time that we've been thinking primarily about our own selves and our future and our well-being I hope and pray, God, that even today as people are watching online at home, that today may be the first day that they realize in a very real and deep way what Christ has done for them. That they recognize today that maybe they're more sinful than they thought they were, more separated from God than they thought they were. But I hope also that they see that you, God, have done everything necessary to save them from their sin to take them from their separation and unite them with you, to cause them to be born again, which is something they can't do on their own. They can't make that happen. This is a gift given by you to sinful people, people that are your enemies. We don't even see or recognize or want to admit that we actually at one time were enemies, and for many listening, they're currently even enemies. They don't feel like enemies. But every time we sin, it's a declaration of war against you. But you, God, have come up with the plan to make peace between you and us. You've sent your own son. He went to the cross. He took on the punishment that I deserved, that we all deserved. And all that payment that was due to you, the fine, so to speak, for breaking your law, the penalty for breaking your law, the prison time for breaking your law, all that was paid for by Jesus. And your word says that everyone who calls upon him, who believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord, they will be saved. So Father, would you cause many to be born again, to open their eyes and their hearts, make them alive on the inside for the first time ever in their life. We thank you, Lord. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.